Welcome to this week's edition of Sunday Morning Live from Fresh Fire Church. Today's message from Pastor Adam will encourage and strengthen your walk with Christ. If you would like to be a partner with Fresh Fire Church for $15 a month or more, become our patron on Podbean or visit freshfirechurch.net. And now, let's join the service. Don't y'all be so quiet today. We're going to go into the Word of God. Good things come in small. I wasn't even going to start preaching Christmas yet, but then I like with the gal and everything going on, it's sort of be expected. And the way we air on TV, uh, what we preach today will air right before Christmas. Uh, Well, I kind of got to. Uh, And so uh, we started really looking at it. And I sometimes you feel like, oh, Lord, can you show us anything else? And really what I think today's message will be is uh, just exalting name above all names. King of kings and Lord of lords. And so I I want us to look at just two brief scriptures. Uh, We're going to look at um, two scriptures. We're going to turn to 1 Luke chapter 1 verse 35. And then I also want us to turn back to Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. So Luke 1 35 and Isaiah 9 verse 6. Yes. Yeah, Luke 1.35 and Isaiah 9.6. Hallelujah. We're using just one scripture each out of those chapters as we're looking at a conversation between an angel and a woman. And we get to listen to the divine talking to the human. Hallelujah. Luke chapter 1 verse 35, we'll start there. And it says, and the angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Look at that. It says also that holy thing. Holy thing. Anybody ever been called a thing? Called out of context? My, 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 my. Uh, In a world where everyone, I'm going to get myself in trouble, where everyone is so concerned about pronouns, the Bible just called you a thing. Mm, Hallelujah, I'm coming for you today. He said, look at that, therefore, he said, also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God, a holy thing. Now, back to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Isaiah 9, verse 6 reads this way, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called. Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. I just got to read that second part of that scripture again. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. You might get excited with me. As we get through this today, I want to back up to that first scripture we read uh, there. It's interesting and kind of odd that the angel said to the virgin and refers to Jesus as a holy thing. Taking for a minute to comprehend and consider why would uh, why would uh, the angel call Jesus a holy thing? There's many reasons, many, many explanations, maybe, but uh, Maybe because nowhere in in history has anything like this ever happened before. That the God of the universe would reduce himself down to the lowest common denominator and pour out of himself all glory and honor and wrap himself up in humanity. Think about it. He humbled himself and became subject to something that he created. Think about it, he's coming and he's all the way God, but he's going to be all the way man. And at one point 
in the text, he is called the son of God. And in another, he's called the son of man. A holy thing. A holy thing. I, I want to try to, I always like to get you to think when we go into the word of God. Cute little messages just don't do. I want to challenge you in your thinking. We've been challenging ourselves in thinking on Tuesday nights just a little bit. Amen. And, and considering and, and, and challenge, it makes us pray differently, makes us see ourselves differently, makes us see what we do when we come to church differently. And so at, at, at one point, the text calls him the son of God, and, and later he calls it the son of man. Or, or, or here in the text, we read a holy thing, a holy thing. And, and, and as we really look at the text here that calls him a holy thing in Luke chapter 1, a holy thing here means he, he's nebulous. In other words, you're saying, what do you mean, preacher? Well, it means that he's indescript. The Bible calls him a holy thing because he's indescript. He, he cannot be confined to the limitations of our descriptions. He cannot. Uh, we can't come up with enough words that would, would adequately describe him. And so here the angel just says he's a holy thing. Because it's difficult to come up with the right words that would adequately describe him, that would talk about his awesomeness, his, his greatness, his, how, how full of grace he is, how, how merciful he is, how wonderful he is. And so, and so the angel just says this holy thing, which will be born, will be called the Son of God. He, 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 the angel was letting us know it's a holy occurrence, that the Holy Ghost is going to come up on your flesh. And the Holy Ghost and flesh produce God in human form. Oh, hallelujah. I said the Holy Ghost and, and, and flesh produce God in human form. Oh, hallelujah. So he says, the angel says, you conceive and that holy thing which is within you shall be called the Son of God. Now, already it's absolutely amazing. And if I had all the time in the world, I would teach right there about that holy thing. Because it's amazing, absolutely amazing. The angels have never seen it. Yet the Bible says, think about this, the angels were, were, were struggling, the angel was struggling to even come up with how, what to say to the woman. So he, they, the best they could come up with, this holy thing, this holy thing. And they were struggling to come up with really what to say because the angels had never seen it. The angels had never seen anything like this, yet think about this. The Bible says elsewhere that the lamb was slain before the foundations of the world. I'm going to go somewhere today. I always have to be able to look at this time of year and start preaching to you in abstract ways to get you to think more about it than just a cute baby in a manger. And realize that we're talking about all-powerful, almighty God. Amen. We're not here to worship a baby. Hallelujah. Think about it. The, the, the angels have never seen anything like this, yet they did, and the best way they can describe what is about to happen is this holy thing. Yet the Bible says, even before the holy thing is, it comes, or Jesus, right? Even before that, it, it says that the lamb was slain, or Jesus was slain. I'm going to try to break it down for those of you that aren't as familiar with Scripture as we are. That, that the lamb was slain, or Jesus was slain, before the foundations of the world. In other words, it was done in eternity, before Adam. And it's through time that it reveals that, which was already done. Let me put it another way. You think that you got healed when it manifests. When we pray and lay hands on you and you receive healing or a miracle, right? You start shouting and giving glory and honor and you say, praise God, I was just healed. Right? But the Bible says by his stripes you were healed, meaning your, your healing already happened, right? You, it, it, the Bible says that your healing is past tense, means you got healed before you even got sick. Stay with me, church. Don't go to sleep yet. I know we're thinking, gal, I know you're wondering what's in the, the gifts underneath the trees up here. I know you're wondering what's all going to happen, but stay with me. I promise it'll all be worth it. Hallelujah. Glory to God. 
I want you to begin to understand that God has had a plan from the very beginning. Before, when the angel came to the woman and said that holy thing, he already had a plan. That he was slain before the foundations of the world, before Adam, before the angel ever spoke to Mary, he was already, it was already part of the plan that he would be slain. In the same way, you by his stripes, the stripes that he will shed, hadn't yet, you were healed. It's past tense. You have got to be able to recognize that God knows the end from the beginning. Hallelujah. Even the Bible says he has determined the end from the beginning. So while you're waiting to see how things will work out, in the end, he already knows how it's going to work out in the end because he has already determined it from the beginning. Let me put it another way. You just have to wait on time to usher in what is already done. Oh, time is something we get frustrated with. Anybody else get frustrated? Amen. Uh, amen. Usually I can go to Walmart and make a quick trip. And it took, what took me usually a 15-minute trip the other day took 45 minutes. Because people were crazy because I had to wait in the line of a checkout line that when I got up there, it was cash only. And so I had to get back out and wait again just so I could use my card. Hallelujah. Time is not something that I, 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 I like to waste. Amen. I don't like to wait on anything. But if we can understand anything about God, that, that you just have to wait on time to usher in what is already done. See, sometimes we get discouraged thinking we, we're not healed. The miracle has not been received. But see, the way that we must understand the word of God is he said it's already done. What often you and I have to be able to do is be in a position to wait on time to usher in what God has already done in eternity. Oh, that's good all there, right there by itself. I'm already preaching good today. Are you hearing me today, Cynthia? We got to wait on time to usher in what God has already done. Hallelujah. That holy thing was prophesied, but they had to wait on time to usher it in. Now, depending on how each of us celebrate Christmas, everybody does it a little bit different. Some of you were already eager at Lois before we all got here, was up here shaking gifts and rattling and, and seeing what was in them. She just can't wait, hallelujah, like a, like a four-year-old at Christmas, amen. But if you have children... If you've ever had children or when you were a kid, you, you, it was all, it's almost instinctive of young people to, to open the largest gift first. Now, we have the larger gifts hidden behind the Hammond organ over there because I knew Lois would be shaking. Poking holes in them, looking, untaping them, and then taping them back up. That's why she came so early today. Hallelujah. But we caught her on camera. Hallelujah. We'll show the footage later. Hallelujah. Uh, it's almost instinctive that we want to go and open the largest gift first, right? Because it's out of curiosity we want to see what's in the box. And so when parents would go out of the room, what would we do? We'd run up, shake the box, poke a hole in it, peel the tape back, right? And, and we still do it today because we live in a society that suggests that bigger is always better. But that is absolutely not always true. Our society tries to tell us the bigger the car, the better the car. Mm -hmm. uh, if you drive a big Cadillac Escalade, a gas guzzler, they want you to believe that bigger is better. But it is not always better. Some of the smallest of things is, is better, especially with gas up. Hallelujah. A bigger church is not always better than a small church. A, a, a bigger, stronger person is not always better than a smaller. Just because you're some bigger or taller doesn't mean you're stronger than someone who is shorter. Because we often, as man, as human beings, we often look on the outward appearance and we get caught up, all caught up with the package. If the package is big, we think it must be better. But bigger is not always better because Many good things come in small packages. Now, don't confuse today's message with a series I did that great things come in small packages. When we talked about the coney and the locust and some of those things. See, some of you think, oh, he's preaching something I've heard. No, no, no. I just changed great to good. Hallelujah. I'm borrowing from a previous title, but it's all fresh and brand new for you. So good things come in small packages. Now, I want to help you to understand where I'm going to go and I want to share something with you, a true story. There was a young woman who was born and raised blind. 
and she got really tired of hearing everyone talk about how blue the ocean is and how bright the sun was and how beautiful the waves crash against the rocks. And inevitably, she, rather than adjusting to her circumstance, she became increasingly bitter, increasingly antagonistic and resentful and frustrated, as many of us would, if you've ever had a situation that just didn't seem to get any better. And so we do that when we feel like everyone else got something that we didn't. We, we often feel bitter or antagonistic or resentful or frustrated when we feel like somebody got something that we did not. Now, come on, church. Can't we be honest? Whether it was when you were younger or just yesterday, we have a tendency to sometimes get a little bit like that. Hallelujah. Even in church service, if a sister gets blessed and we didn't, we might even get a little upset. God, what's going on? And so some of us get, get some of us are miserable, not because we are are miserable, but because we think that other people got something better. And so we often have, we often have a tendency to have a competitive nature about us that thinks that the gift I have been given equates with my value rather than the giver that gave it. Oh, hallelujah. Sometimes people will give you a dud of a gift. And you equate that with how much you mean to them. And it really doesn't mean anything about how much you mean to them, but it could equate to the giver that gave it. And so the Bible says that even comparing ourselves with one another is in, in so doing is not even wise. If you've ever grown up with more than just yourself, you had siblings, we often compare ourselves. Parents will have to hear, in my case, my parents bought my sister a pony, and I never got a pony. Hallelujah. Think about this, uh, brother. My parents bought my sister a pony, a horse. A horse, y'all. I didn't get no horse. And I never got my pony money either. <laughs> Mom knows what I'm talking about. Because all through childhood, I told him I want a pony, too. And they finally, they said, well, we sold her pony. I said, then I want half the money because I never got my pony. And so I still tell them, I never got my pony and I never got my money. Hallelujah. But we'll often compare ourselves. Uh, Johnny can get a bicycle given to him from his parents. And Johnny will grow up and be wounded a lifetime because Johnny's parents bought his, his brother a bicycle, but Johnny never got a bicycle. And Johnny will grow up and being wounded by never getting a bicycle himself, will grow up and be wounded by it, never considering that his legs were too short to reach a bicycle. That's why they got him a tricycle. Oh, I'm going somewhere. So we often compare ourselves with one another, not, not understanding that the gift is, is commensary with our ability to manage what has been given. My sister got a pony because she could manage it. I didn't get a pony because I couldn't manage it. I like to still pick on mom and dad about it, but the truth is, the matter, I didn't get my pony. And so I want you to understand, that's why the Bible rebukes us from being covetous. Because sometimes we crave what we could not handle. Oh, Hallelujah. I know that sometimes we crave something that we cannot handle. Sometimes, yes, Christians are guilty of craving things that we, we, can't, we, we, we didn't get, and, and yet God has didn't, didn't give it to you because you can't handle it because you're not ready for it. He can't give you the bike because your legs are too short, so he gives you a tricycle, and then you're not happy, and then we have the audacity not to thank God that we got the tricycle or, or, or thank God that I got a dog, not a pony. Hallelujah. Now, I'm interjecting that because this, this little girl was bitter. This little blind girl was bitter because everyone else could see but her. The young man, a young man met her and thought she was absolutely amazing. I mean, he was in awe of her. He thought she was beautiful. He thought she was beautiful inside and out. And 
he, he gave her something we all need. This young man gave her love. And if anybody in here has ever really been loved, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. He loved her. He was the only person that she was not antagonistic with. He, he was the only person she wasn't resentful with. He was the only person she wasn't bitter because, because even though she could not see him, she sensed that he loved her. Because love is something that you sense. So for anyone in here that's ever been trying or is trying to pay for love, Love is not something you can buy. And all of you that only feel love when you, are, when you are given, you cannot count on it. Because love is sensed. Love is not seen. Oh, hallelujah. So this blind girl sensed that he loved her. And she said, I love you too. Oh, it was just cute and mushy and gushy to watch. She said, I love you too. And I love you so much. That if I wasn't blind, if I could see, I would marry you. She said, I don't think it's right for me to to marry you since I cannot see. But if I ever get to the place where I can see, I will marry you. The man said, you don't have to wait. You don't have to see for me to marry you. I love you just the way that you are. See, the man was okay with her blindness, but she was not okay with it. And she said, if I could see, I would absolutely marry you. But she told him he was so amazing. And she said, you are so kind. And that he was absolutely the reason that she lived. She told him, she said, you know, you're the air that I breathe. You're the energy that helps me to walk. She said, honey, if I ever get to see, I will marry you. Many days later, the young man comes rushing into her room and he came in excited and said, I can't, I got to tell you something. I've got to tell you something. He said, I just got a report from the doctor. They finally found you a donor. And if we go right now, are y'all still with me? Y'all got so quiet, I got to make sure. He said, if we go right now, you can get a transplant and you could see. She was excited, but almost in disbelief. And she said, she shouted, are you serious? Really? I'm going to get to see? I'm really going to be able to see? And he said, yes. And so she just yells, yes, yes, yeah, let's go, let's go, let's go. So they, they rushed to the hospital and they prepared this young blind girl for surgery and they rolled her into the OR and they did the transplant. And it's first, as many of you know, when you come out of surgery, you don't always look and feel like how you were. And so they prepared her for surgery. They did the, the surgery and she comes out of surgery and At first, with the bandages and the swelling and the darkness, she still could not see. But as the bandages came off and the swelling went down, she opened up her eyes. And what she had waited all her life to get had finally come. She could see. She could see the lights in the room. And she could see the colored paint on the walls. She could see the sun shining through the windows of the hospital. She could see the drapes hanging by the windows. And she was so happy as she looked around and saw all the things that there was to see that she had only heard other people describe to her. Until she looked to the other side of the room. She looked over at the man that said how much he loved her. The man that said, I'd marry you. The man that was waiting for this day because he knew if she could see, she said, I'll finally marry you. 
So she was happy till she looked over at him and he was blind. The man said to the girl, he said, I'm so happy for you. You got what you wanted. You can finally see. Now. Now will you marry me? She looks at them. She looks at the man that is blind. She said, absolutely not. You're blind. I'm not marrying you. The man was crushed. He was absolutely devastated. He had that feeling that all of us have felt at one time or another being rejected. Because rejection doesn't ease up easily. And so as the man took his walking stick and started walking away, he turned and he said to the blind girl, he said, even if you don't want me, I hope you enjoy my gift. You see, he was not just her lover. He was her, also her donor. And the only reason he was blind is so she could see. Now, I can't but help church this morning. But to think about Jesus. Because he who had no sin became sin for us. He who never committed adultery and never mistreated anyone, and never stole anything, and never abused anyone, loved me so much that he traded places with me and went to the cross as if he had done wrong. And yet some of us say, oh no, I can't marry you. You're blind. He says, Remember, the, the, the man says, I'm only this way because I loved you. The blind man said to the woman, I'm only this way because I loved you. See, two little things changed her life. It changed his too. He walked away blind so that she could see. Remember, the Bible says that the Bible says in Isaiah, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. The chastisement of our peace is upon him. And with his stripes, we were healed. You see, the God that we serve is not really into big gifts. He's into little things. Little things. There's a lot of examples I could give you this morning, but, but you can see an apple seed, but God sees an orchard. Uh-huh. An orchard. Think about this. God sees seed. God sees the seed, and he can envision and, and, and plan for an orchard. You and I see a seed and throw it away. God just doesn't look at a seed and see a tree. God sees a, a tree that produces more apples, that produces more seed, that produces more trees, that produce more apples, and, 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 and all of that is in one seed. And so you and I will often toss that one seed away because we're praying for an orchard, never realizing that the orchard that you are praying for is all wrapped up in the apple seed. Or that the vineyard that you, were, you needed was, was in the grape that you rejected. I'm going somewhere, so trust me, hang on. So, so the Bible says that the sustainability of all creation exists not in the power of the one who created it, but in the power of the seed he placed in creation. Oh, hallelujah. He only created one time, and after that, each thing producing seed after its own kind. Mm -hmm. Remember back a few weeks ago? We were preaching a bit there on the seed for a few weeks. So God is a giver of small things. In the book of, of, of Genesis, even when God created Adam, he is God's seed. He is, he, he is his son because he is his seed. 
Adam is God's seed. In Genesis 8, the Bible says there will always be, as long as the earth remains, seed, time, and harvest. Back there a few weeks ago when we were preaching about timing is everything. Oh, yes. Timing is everything. We often shout about the harvest and shy away from seed because we don't recognize that, that all the harvest is is the outworking of the seed. I'm reaching back a few weeks to bring it together. See, oftentimes we think the enemy is fighting us over our harvest or over where we're trying to go, but he is fighting you and I over our seed. We're in a seed war. And so he understands all through nature that everything comes through seed. Even the enemy knows this. All that God reveals to us is revealed to us in seed. So in other words, I'm, I'm reminding you that you and I have to be careful what we throw away or be careful who you throw away. That's why the Bible says despise not the day of small beginnings because good things come in small packages. Hang on, we're going to bring it all together. It's important that we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ because God is giving you and I through the Christmas celebration, he is giving us seed. Isaiah in the text that we read says that for unto us a child is born. A child is born. Isaiah is prophesying to an oppressed people who are going through attacks that a child is born. Sometimes God will speak to you us in a manner that is beyond where we are. These are people that are under attack and they are in an oppressed state right now. And, 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 and Isaiah is prophesying to them, for unto us a child is born. God is speaking to them beyond where they are right now beyond their present moment. And so oftentimes, just like, just like they could have been, we are frustrated in our present moment. But God speaks to us about something that will affect sometimes our children or our children's children. God will speak to us in something that we won't necessarily see happen tomorrow, but it could happen in time. That's why you and I need to understand that we celebrate at Christmas. A child is born. We, we all gather with family and we gather with friends because a child is born. We don't gather because there's gifts. We don't gather because we put up a tree. We gather because a child is born. That's why we gather. And so I, 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 I'm pointing out that the, 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 it is prophesied a, a child is born but I don't want you to confuse the first phrase with the second phrase. The prophet says a child is born. The second phrase, uh, he says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Oh, Lord, I don't even have the whole time to do this. Lois, you might remember back years ago I preached uh, the difference between the child and the son. We often think they're talking about the same thing. Mm-hmm. They are not. Oh, hallelujah. I can't drop it all on you today, but I don't want you to confuse one with the other. He says, for unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given. They're not talking about that same thing. A child being born speaks of his humanity. But a son is given not in the nativity, but in the crucifixion. Oh, hallelujah. A child is is born a son is given he gave jesus to mary through birth but the son was given on calvary hallelujah isaiah was speaking prophetically to them we we think he was often talking about the same thing but he was he was speaking walking down through time remember i said there a moment ago that we often have to to wait on time to usher in what god is speaking just like he says by his stripes we were healed we have to wait on time to usher in the the, the words of god in the same manner isaiah was prophesying they had to wait on time to usher in Yes, the child, and then secondly, the son. Hallelujah. A child is born, a son is given. A child doesn't mean he's a man when he's born or a husband when he's born. Doesn't mean he's a leader when he's born, right? Doesn't, mean, doesn't even mean he's an overcomer when he's born, right? When he's born, he's just a child. Are you still with me? Isn't it, though, amazing what God will put in a small package? 
When he's born, we don't see him as an overcomer. When he's born, we don't see him as the great victorious, right? When, when he's born, we don't see all the things that will come to later learn. Hallelujah. Mothers and fathers, as we have our children, we don't always get to see who our child is going to be when we're holding them in our arms. Because in that moment when they're just a baby, we're just looking at the seed. But God is looking at the harvest. God often looks and sees what is to come. And so we are often looking for outcomes. But the outcome may not be, the outcome may not come while we are even here to see it. Some of the things that God prophesies over us, some of the things that God promises to you and I will arrive or will come in, 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 the, in, in the course of time as time ushers in the promises of God, the, the prophetic words of God. I'm using these, these scriptures today because they're just a hint of the Messiah. The, the text goes on in Isaiah to say that the government shall be upon his shoulders and the kingdom shall be no end. There's the kingdom again for those of you from Tuesday night. The kingdom there shall be no end. Think about this. Wrapped in swaddling clothes, laid in a manger. Those little shoulders of a baby don't seem like the shoulders that can house a government. But the, but the prophet says the government shall be upon his shoulders and the kingdom shall, shall be no end. What shoulders on a little boy? They just haven't developed yet. We can easily look on the outside and we're looking at the natural like we often cry over the natural while God is answering in the spirit. When Jesus was born, the Bible lets us know that, that Herod suspected that he was more than jo Joseph and Mary's child. The Bible says that he suspected he was a king, and so he thought that he was a threat to his throne. He thought that he might be a threat to his throne. Sometimes some people will try to take you out because you're a threat to their throne, Renita. Some people would dislike you because they see you as a threat to their throne. In other words, what is it about me that would, 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 that would put me on, on the hit list while I'm still wrapped up in milk rags? While Jesus is still wrapped up in swaddling clothes or milk rags, laying in a manger, he was on a hit list. Think about this. This baby was born homeless born homeless but in the next several verses this homeless baby they start bringing gold frankincense and myrrh this is what I love about the story of Jesus and that, that, that's why we, we used to sing uh, there, there was an old song old old song we used to sing that, that said he's so low you can't get under him and he's so high you can't get over him because no matter how bad your story is the God that we serve can relate to you let me prove it to you. He, he was born homeless. So if you're homeless and have no place to go, Jesus can say, I was born that way. I know what it is to be homeless. I know what it is not to have much. I know what it is to be wrapped in stinky milk rags. I know what it is to have to find shelter in amongst a dirty place. But for those that are rich, and successful Jesus can speak to them too and tell them I know what it is to be rich because let me tell you what they brought to my birthing party they brought me some gold and they brought me some frankincense and they brought me some myrrh it's the contrast that I love about the story of the birth of Jesus Christ the contrast between the king and the kid It's the breath of how far God can reach for you and I. Are you starting to see what I'm trying to tell you? That the God that we serve is not interested in just a certain demographic of people. God isn't looking for just the rich and he's not looking for just the poor. God isn't looking for those right down the middle ground. That the God that we serve, the God that we're, we worship, the God that we come in to celebrate, the God that we honor even in this, this moment in time has such a breath about him that he can reach and minister to the poor and the homeless and he can reach and minister to the wealthiest on the earth. It's God's way of saying, I don't care how far you fall, I can still reach you. 
And I don't care how high you ascend, I can still reach you. This is the God that we serve. This is the King of glory. This is the I am. And God sends good things in small packages. The, the, the text goes on to say, are you still with me? Oh, hallelujah. Look at your neighbor say, neighbor, pay attention. This is what we've been waiting for. I'll see. Now you're getting, say neighbor, wake up, pay attention. This is what we've been waiting for. The text goes on to say in Isaiah, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. For those of you that are note takers, you're going to have to take quick notes because I only have a few minutes because I promised them I'd get you out of here at a decent time so we can all come back tonight. But we're going to still let the word go forth. Amen. The Bible says that he shall be called Wonderful Counselor. We live in a time when everyone goes to see a therapist. Nothing wrong with it, but a lot of people see a therapist. And at first glance, we, would th- we could think that when it says he's a wonderful counselor, that the God that we serve has a couch for you and I to lay on. That's not the counselor that it's speaking of. Counselor in the original definition means it is the same word that could be translated advocate. Hallelujah. So in other words, he's saying he shall be called wonderful counselor. He shall be called a wonderful advocate or attorney. He pleads my case. He pleads my case for me that that when when, when I feel like I've been mistreated and when I feel like I've been mishandled, I'm not without representation that I have counsel. Has anybody ever been mistreated, mishandled by somebody, some place, some job, family members? Amen. Hallelujah. I want you to know this is how awesome our God is. He said, the the, the prophet says that uh, um, the mighty, the wonderful counselor, letting you and I know that we will never be alone, that we will never be without representation. We will always have someone that is advocating for us that is going to be our attorney, amen, in the same manner if you ever have gone before a judge, hallelujah, they will look at you and they say, do you have counsel? Oh, hallelujah. Yes, I have a wonderful counselor who pleads my case when I was not in court. See, the, 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 the advocate I have, I don't even have to be in court for him to plead my case. Are you starting to hear what I'm saying? I don't even have to show up to the accusation. He'll plead my case on my behalf. I hope you can start having a visual of the God that loves you so much that came in the form of a baby so that he could show up as the wonderful counselor, grow up to be a a, a man, amen, grow up to have a ministry of three years, die on a cross for you, be buried, resurrect again just to be your advocate, just to be your wonderful counselor so that he can show up and and, and, and serve as your counselor and you don't even have to show up for it, that I don't even have to respond to my critics, that he'll do it for me. That's what it is to have an advocate. When when we get ourselves in trouble, when people have dragged our church's name through the mud during the politics season and hosting things, our response, call our attorney. Call our church council. Why? Because you ain't worth my time. Amen. We're not going to get down in the mud with you. We've hired counsel. But in the same manner, there are some things that you and I need to understand spiritually that that Jesus Christ is our counsel. He is our advocate. He, He fought for you even when you were not in the room. I told you this is the part you got to pay attention to. That he defends you and I when Satan accuses you and I. He stood up and cried out for mercy when justice was about to take you under. For some of us in in, in this room, we can celebrate because we had a wonderful counselor that got us off. That he dropped the charges. That he took your place. He's a wonderful counselor. In other words, I'm talking to you in a manner that I don't want no self-righteous, never did anything people to give God praise because he hasn't, because I don't believe it's fully sunk into you yet. And our churches are full of a bunch of self-righteous, never did anything people who try to give God praise that isn't real praise. But people who have ever really seen God do something in their life, Sister Amy, know what I'm talking about. I'm talking to people today who know, who know that you deserve to go to hell. 
you know that you have done some wicked things. You know that you have done some things that you are ashamed of and still God blessed you. I know we don't want to get honest. Think talking about our wickedness, our ugliness, the things we've done we've been ashamed of. I'm talking about that you and I are called to give God a praise, uh, that we should be giving praise to the wonderful counselor, the counselor that pleaded our case. He got your case thrown out of court, that our wonderful counselor that delivered you, that justified you. It means he fixed you up just as if it had, you had never done it. That's what it means when, he, when the Bible says that he, he, he justifies you and I. That when you and I get saved, he fixes you, I, you and I up just as if you and I had never done it. That right now, the life that you and I are living, the air that you are breathing, you're living in, you're driving in, you're walking in the very grace of God. And then we dare come in his presence and give him some mediocre religious praise that didn't even hit the roof today. Do you hear about the same God I'm talking about? A wonderful counselor, a mighty God, a God that justified you and I, that kind of God. And then we have the ability to even dare let enter our mind that we're serving a God that for some reason doesn't love us and doesn't care about us. When we have a wonderful counselor, we started praying Tuesday night about some of you that are just lukewarm. Barely getting by, not hungry for God. We prayed for you. Because the church in general is lukewarm. Some of you need to check yourself this morning. I'm talking to lukewarm, barely getting by. Oh yeah, I'm, I wasn't even planning to go there, but that's where we're going to go. Barely worshiping. You, don't, you, you wouldn't know a prayer life if we didn't pray in church. The last time you read your word was last Sunday. And yet we're reading scripture about a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, a, 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 a someone who loved you so much that despite how lukewarm and stale you have become, gave his life. Gave his life to go to court on your behalf to get you off to get the charges thrown out hallelujah talking about a God that was so good to you even when you didn't see he was good a God that was there for you when you couldn't even see that he was there for you he was there for you when you were in your iniquity, when you were in your sins, when you were in your pit. God wants to try to do some things in your life that might look small, but that they will accomplish big things. As I hasten to a close, remember the blind man who was only blind because he gave his eyes as donors to the woman he loved. Remember the last thing he said to her, I hope you enjoy my gift. I hope you enjoy my gift. Keep that in your memory for a moment. same text effort it says he's the wonderful counselor it says he's the mighty God in the same text we reach from a child a nameless child a little bitty baby who who who, who just small this little bitty baby but yet he's God enough to do all that we read about. He, think about this. This baby, man enough to get cold and need to be wrapped up in blankets, but yet God enough to have created the blankets that wrapped him up. He's child enough to 
die on a cross, but God enough to raise the tree that he knew would be the cross. I'm talking about the God who is both child and God. I'm talking about God who is both Lord and Christ. He which is and was and always will be, he's God. I'm talking about God over our trouble. I'm talking about God over our crisis. I'm talking about God over this country. I'm talking about God over this generation. I'm talking about he's God over our family. He's God over, think about he, he's God enough to run 8 billion people on this earth. And yet he's sensitive enough to hear the cry of just one. He's God over cancer, and he's God over leukemia. He's God over high blood pressure. He's God over diabetes. He's God over dementia. He's God. The child that is born is the mighty God. God, the mighty God. He's the ruler. He's the boss. He's the one in charge. Think about it. The Bible says he's my shield and my buckler. He's my way maker and my bridge over troubled waters. He's my joy and he's my peace. He's my lily of the valley and my bright and morning star. He's my doctor and he's my lawyer. He is God. He is God. The Bible says the heavens are his throne and the earth is his footstool. That before the stars ever begin to twinkle, he was God. Before the waves ever began to roll, he was God. Before gravity ever had had a name, he was God. Before the earth even was considered a planet, he was God. Before sun ever began to burn, he was God. Think about this. Moses, Moses couldn't find the beginning of God. Moses, who who wrote Genesis, couldn't even find the beginning of God, but but he he could find the beginning of the earth. So So he said in Genesis, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth because he couldn't figure out the beginning of God, but he did find the beginning of earth. David said, from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. He, he said, God, you're, you're, you're God over my problems. You're God over my situation. You're God over my crisis. You're God over my circumstance. You're God over my happiness. You're God over my needs. What a mighty God we serve. Yeah, what a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. That's why we used to sing, what a mighty God we serve. Angels bow before him. Heaven and earth adore him. What a mighty God we serve. Why? Because the Ephesians says that God can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you and I can ever think or ask. He's mighty. You see, he would even be God if I was not his and he was mine. But in Isaiah, he goes on to say, he is my everlasting father. He said, for unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given. It means the same one that played son played father. I don't have time to go into the Godhead, but let me, let me say enough to say this. He was both father and son in Holy Spirit. That's the mystery of the Godhead. The same power playing all three roles. Now, I know some say Trinity, and, and then some say he, he is just the one God. But, but we, we, people will argue back and forth, and I'm not here to debate anybody. I'm not here to make you mad. I'm just here to say nobody is wrong because you can have one God that can do three things because he's God all by himself. <laughs> he didn't have to hire anybody to play the other part. He was one God who did all three. He is both son and father. In the calm stillness of the night, while the shepherds, the Bible says, were out in the fields and the sheep were grazing nearby, he was born in that. So that's why the text goes on. And the final thing he says, he is the prince of stillness. He is the prince of peace. The prince of peace. Prince of Peace. See, sometimes when we're younger, we're not so interested in peace, but the older we get, sometimes all we want is our peace. The kind of peace that life can't and don't won't make our heads spin. 
the kind of peace that I can walk through a group of people talking about me. And I don't have any concern about what they said or think. The kind of peace that when I face a storm, I can can have a storm on the outside and not have a storm on the inside. So to all of you who have been going through something, facing people who didn't do what you wanted them to do, and to those of you who don't have a Hallmark movie Christmas, it's produced with actors and producers, and you think someone else's life is better than yours, remember the blind man. Remember I told you to remember his final words. I hope you enjoy the gift I gave. Isaiah says he was born our griefs and carried our sorrows and gave all that he had that you might see. He bore our griefs and our sorrows. did it all so that you and I might see. Think about that blind man who gave his eyes as a donor so that the woman could see. You thought, and some of you felt sorry, you thought that when the girl got surgery, that now she could see. Many of you felt sorry for the man because now he was blind. But that man in his blindness, that man had more sight in his blindness than she had with her new eyes. That's why he said to her, I hope you enjoy my gift. Because even in his blindness, he could see more than she could. To everybody in this room that cannot see what he gave you, who cannot see that he loved you, who cannot see that he stood by you when everyone else turned against you, and you can't see that if it wasn't for the goodness of God, that you wouldn't be alive. For everybody under the sound of my voice, when you hear about God and how awesome He is and the lengths that He has gone just to show you that He loved you and create a way for you, and then you, you, you dare think, you think, I might get right with God someday. I, I, I might fall back in love with Jesus someday. I, maybe I won't be so lukewarm anymore. Maybe I'll decide to serve Him fervently and aggressively aggressively again. Maybe uh, some of you might even think, maybe I'll, I'll get saved one day. You're thinking about serving God faithfully. You're thinking about getting serious with God. My question is, what is there to think about? Because I'm going to prove something to you. Your next breath Your next breath you can't catch if he doesn't give it to you. When I walked in that funeral home on Thursday and looked at that 20-year-old boy lying in a casket, your next breath is not guaranteed unless he chooses to give it to you. And you're thinking about getting right? 20 years old. Some of us are double that age and plus. Some of you say, I ain't got nothing wrong. He didn't have nothing wrong with him either. Gone. It's over. And you're thinking about it? You're thinking about it? If you can't see, that good things come in small packages. The greatest thing of all came in a small package. 
We're not talking about a season that we gather for food like we're going to do tonight and gifts and family and lights and trees. We're talking about the ultimate gift. The greatest thing that came in a small package. Every good thing you have. Every good thing you got. I've learned this about good things in my life. That if you don't appreciate it, and if you belittle it, and make it small, you will always lose it. Because you don't value the small things. So my closing is this, if you're able to stand to your feet. Some of us are not valuing the small things. Some of us are not valuing the the gift that was small but has had the greatest impact. Salvation. Being right with God. Being lukewarm. Lukewarm. I want to challenge you right where you are that you would be right with God today. That if you have been serving Him casually, not relentlessly pursuing Him, just doing church, so you don't get one of those dreaded postcards or letters from the church saying, we've missed you. Uh-huh. If you just show up, I, I told them Tuesday night, the, my concern about many of us in the church is that some of you come to church only to worry about getting out of it. If that's you, you know you need revival. If all you come to church for is to see how quickly you can get out of here, how, 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 how much you have to do when you get out of here, if you're that busy, then God help you. Oh yeah, I, I'm coming for that today. The one who gave his life so that you could see and you're still that blind? You're just as blind as the woman who got the donor. When he gave you everything and you still can't see. So my order call is simply this. If you are one of those lukewarm, I don't care if you want to call it lukewarm, backslidden, not right with God. Why are you still staying where you are? Jesus is saying, I hope you enjoy the gift I gave. Take advantage of the gift. Serve him with everything you have. Be relentless in your pursuit. And enjoy the fullness of the gift that he gave, which is Jesus Christ. We're going to close in prayer. And I'm going to pray a great big blessing upon us. Everyone in this room is good. I'm not going to beg you. My, my, I'm over it. The 20-year-old's life ended. Is he right with God? I don't know. But over all the years of my life, when I've begged people the most to get right with God, never sticks until God brings you to a place where you can't have no choice but to be desperate for him and it sticks I want to pray over you pray blessings and then when we're through and we before you all dissipate those of you that can't help us set up for tonight if you would hallelujah Father, in the name of Jesus, I'm thankful that good things come in small packages. I'm thankful that you are the great gift, the greatest gift of all. But sometimes in our walk with you, we get distracted and preoccupied by everything else, our to-do lists, our shopping, the demands of this life, and we forget what we have and what we have to do is not any more important than the gift that you gave. So, Father, I pray that, Lord, you would ever bring it to our memory. 
Father, as we pray to you tonight, awaken your church. Shake them. Shake us. Wake us out of our slumber. Challenge us, God, in ways we have not been challenged. Bring us to a place where, God, we will serve you relentlessly. Serve you aggressively. God, we will understand that you are the wonderful counselor. The mighty God. Prince of Peace. Everlasting Father. You are the great I am. That you are a great gift wrapped in a small package. Father, I pray that you would be with our congregation. God, those that weren't here this morning but will come tonight. God, those that are still facing challenges and sickness. And God, those that are still grieving with their family. Comfort them. Strengthen them and empower them as only you can. We give you the thanks. We give you the praise and all the honor today in your mighty, powerful, great name. We pray today our wonderful counselor. In Jesus, your mighty, powerful name. Amen.